This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1976's Alice Sweet Alice, directed by Alfred Soule. But first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, the Super Bowl happened. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, B's a Niners fan, y'all. Remember when I got really sentimental about how these boys really deserve to win? I still think they deserved it. They deserved it. Didn't happen. It was close. It was a good game, at least. It was a good game. Better than a blowout or, like, boring. Like yeah. the Patriots and Rams game, which wasn't a blow, but also just like the most boring game ever. Yeah. Great halftime performance. Oh, I'd yeah. like to that see really those good. people complaining about their dancing. Where were their complaints about a shirtless gyrating Adam Levine last year? Yep. I don't know. Apparently they enjoyed that one. <sighs> yeah. So ridiculous. The no, hypocrisy. Like, we're going to sue them. And I'm like, good not, luck. Not family friendly. And I'm like, whoop. What was last year's? Was that family friendly? Also, it's football. It's literally a very violent sport where people are getting fucking injured and like ending their careers and getting fucking never, CTE. It's yeah. not a family friendly. I've never event. heard anyone refer to football as family friendly. No, like definitely not. So yeah, those people can fuck off. Agreed. Um, I was on vacation. I was in Arizona for the Super Bowl. I have some friends who live out there, and um. I have some friends who moved out there about a year ago, so I went to visit them, and then we had um, some mutual friends and their son at a birthday party I got to attend, which was really nice, and I haven't seen them in two years, so it's just really nice to kind of catch up, and Arizona is, like, weirdly, like, I always think, like, before I went there, I'd be like, I always thought, like, Arizona was just, like, a desert shit show, and I didn't want anything to do with it, but every time I go, I actually really enjoy Phoenix, uh, but I also go, from what I hear, at, like, one of the best times of the year. It's, like, beautiful weather. It's 70 degrees. Like, their summers are 125 degrees, like, for weeks at a time. So. I ain't mad about that. Yeah. They don't have snow days. They have heat days where they legit cancel school because it's too hot. Yeah, my sister used to live – my goddamn sister used to live in Yuma, Arizona. And she lived there when I was, like, a teenager and didn't really have the means to travel. Yeah. Now she lives in fucking snowy ass Colorado and I do have travel and I do travel there and it's cold as fuck and I'm not a cold person. Yeah. And that's where B's going this week. I was going to say we were yeah. both, we both uh, had vacations. We had like five days in between of seeing each other and then she's off, off, off to Colorado. Yeah. Where it's dumping snow and I'm like genuinely really sad about it because I'm just going to be locked in the house for a week. How does that affect the flight? I'd be worried. 
Uh, yeah, let's not talk about it. Are you freaking out? A uh, yeah, I'm a little freaked out, honestly. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, like a mini panic attack on my last flight. Is it supposed to snow the day you fly out? Uh huh. Yeah, it's snowing for like days. Um, and the weather was beautiful because I went in September. So if you ever go to Colorado, September's a great time to go. Not fucking February. But my sister is celebrating 20 years of marriage. So I guess oh, it's right, right, right. worthy. She's going to Cabo. And I'm going to her snowy ass house and watching her children for her. What a good sister. I am a good sister. I told her next time we all go to Cabo and I just watch the kids in Cabo. She said, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we are in vacation mode. That's what we're doing. Um, I know, not a normal time for vacation, but me and I are, this is what works for our schedules. So that's what what ended up happening. Uh, I did get the to go see birds of prey last night um so this we're recording on friday so i saw it on a lunch night on the 6th um i tempered expectations because i really enjoyed the trailers and what i saw and but i haven't always loved dc stuff um but i think what they've been putting out lately has been really good so i was like okay like hated suicide squad really don't like batman vs superman but enjoyed wonder woman shazam and aquaman which are the last three so i was like okay those are Justice League, you forgot. I don't like that movie. Um, and then, so I was like, all right. And I like, thought the trailers looked good. Early reviews came out. They were all really positive. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So Kathy Ann directed it. I think it really helped to have a female director. They also had a female writer. Um, her name's escaping, right? Christina Hodson. Um, she wrote Bumblebee, which was also a ton of fun. Um, and it's just a blast. It's a super, like, female forward, very progressive, like, but not in your face about it like it's definitely not preachy it's just like fun but it's there like the messages are still there like Neil mcgregor and um what's his name chris chris messina yeah chris messina are like yeah how is he oh they're both fantastic so they play their character as queer and like it's never explicitly stated but they've both said like yeah they're in love with each other and it very much comes off that way but they both are still very like very toxic masculinity so it's it's an interesting dynamic but it also bring some levity to some moments because there is a very tense moment where Hugh McGregor's character who is a sociopath like forces this woman in his bar to like get up and like he like makes her take her dress off and dance in front of him and it's not played for sexuality at all like I really enjoyed Kathy Ann's like uh, perspective on this like even like it flashes away from her when she's dancing so like she's not being objectified at all and even when it flashes back to her she's like covered back up in her dress like I just thought everything was very smartly done all the women in it are amazing, um, and they're all very different characters with their own voices. They all get a, like a different chance to shine. Wide range of like ethnicity, age. Uh, I just really think they covered all their bases here, and it's just what the best part though is like. It's great to look at this and see like, oh my god, look at this cast. Like, look at this cast, and look at like these messages, and look at the like the things being said here, and then it's still just a great movie. Like, because sometimes you see that stuff and then it misses the mark and you're like, oh, what a bummer. Like, you know, I, f- I think we both, like, felt that way a little bit about Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. like, there was you so much. Yeah, you see it. Yeah, you see it. And, but it doesn't quite get there. But this one totally does. And it's just fun. It's really fun. Like, a lot of people have been comparing it to Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as off the wall as Deadpool is. It's still, like, and it's not restrained in any means. Like, Harley is bonkers and she is a great narrator but i think it has more purpose than deadpool did and you can feel that and 
but like it, they just managed to have a really good time with it. So I highly suggest checking out. A lot of it's just a lot of like a lot of laughs. Very um, John, the guy does the all the action sequences for John Wick. Did all the action sequences for this, so they're incredible like fight sequences. Um, and then, like I said, every character in it. I mean, Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn at this point. She's a producer on it. She loves the character. Um, but everyone else, like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, was fantastic. Um, it's yeah, definitely like I'd say it's a must see in theaters. Um, if you, if you can, if you like super, how long movies, is it? I don't know actually. That that is a good. It didn't feel long, which is nice. That's nice. Yeah, like there definitely wasn't any part where I was like, oh, okay, like wrap it up. Um, but yeah, hour, hour 50, fifty. That's not bad. You cut I'll the, take you it. Cu- you cut the credits out of that, and it's an hour yeah. forty. You know, so um, no, and like if you can, if you can make your way to theaters, I, I think it's one worth supporting too. That's the more important thing mm-hmm. here. It's like it's not like one of those things where you're like you need to see this in the theater. Like I think this would be a good one to support if you're going to choose to spend your time at the movies because yeah. it it deserves it and it earns it. So. Well, yeah, and I mean, aren't we all so tired of like? Everybody going like, oh, yeah, it's fine to make movies for women, but I'm not going to watch them. I saw somebody respond to that, and I'm like, so what are women supposed to do? Just not watch movies because they're all fucking about men? Like, what the fuck is that comment? I don't understand. Like, yeah, yeah, make make an action movie for women and just don't be mad when men don't show up. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, I don't understand. It's so infuriating because they'll always, like, handpick, they cherry pick, like, Oh yeah, look how good like this movie did. And I'm like, yeah, but look how good Wonder Woman Cap- Captain Marvel made a billion dollars. Yeah, it was huge. And Wonder like, Woman was massive. Yeah, but because the, fucking Charlie's like, Angels reboot, the like third yeah, reboot wasn't and successful. Atomic Blonde like didn't yeah. do great. And it's like, and then even then they'll they'll, they'll be like, but oh, but even Captain Marvel wasn't like it didn't get up to like what they expected it to. I'm like, dude, fuck off. Like it's Captain Marvel is the most profitable one besides um, Endgame. Besides the two, and then Spider Man, is it? Uh huh. Black Panther. I just more? looked it up. Oh, wow. Yeah, Black Panther. I mean, I believe it. It did better than Black Panther because guess what? Women get out to see the movie to support it, and <laughs> it's awesome. So, and also men do too. Like, yeah. there's proof that like everyone's going out to see it. So, I yeah, I mean, yeah, go I shut the haters up if anything. Just go see Birds of Prey because um, all those fucking. Also, men. I mean, Chris Messina. He's awesome. And beards can shit up. Oh, Christmas Kim is great in it. He's really him. like He's, he's really okay. weird. He's, he's really in the weird new in season of The Center, which came which premiered last night. I really like that show, the first oh, two Bomer, seasons. Right? And Matt Bomer's in yeah, it. Yeah. So the first two seasons are on Netflix. That show's incredible. I love it. Pullman's um, the main character. Super good. The first two, Pullman's right? the okay. only reoccurring character. Right, right. Um and it's just I talk about it every time I binge through a season. Um, I'm probably not going to watch it live because I think I enjoy that show um, in a binge format. In a binge format because I'm not really good at keeping up with mystery storylines. My yeah. brain's dumb. But uh, if you enjoy week to week mysteries, The Center, it's on USA. Um, watch it. That show's incredible, and I'm super excited about the new cast. Yeah, but Messina's great in it. Ewan McGregor is so good in it. Like you he's can tell, good. he's great in everything. But you can tell, like he's done so much serious stuff lately. You can tell he finally was like, oh, I get to loosen up a little because his character is zany. Um, I just watched him in something. He like there's a point where he's literally murdering someone, and he decides that he's gonna spare her. He's like, you know what? I think we like did enough here, and then he looks at her and he goes, "Ew, was that a snot bubble?" I changed my mind, killer. Like it's just, it's just really fun. Um, yeah, so that's what I watched. 
That was my that was my big one. I didn't really watch anything worth talking about. Um, I just rewatched some stuff, and I don't know. I can't think of anything. I watched Mulan today. I mean, just stuff like that. I haven't really watched anything new. She's getting into vacay mode. Yeah, I've been really busy. I've had like a really rough couple weeks of just a ton of shit going on, and so like between that and like me leaving and it's just i know i felt like january i watched a ton of stuff and then like as soon as february rolled around i was like and the breaks are on (laughs) and goodbye yeah i love watching movies but sometimes like even even sometimes if i have nothing planned after work i'm just like i need to put on something mindless because i can't focus right now and i just need to unwind Oh, what I am doing is, since the Fast trailer came out, Ooh, we are yeah. re-watching Fast and Furious, but in chronological order for the first time. Um, so I mean, it only changes one movie, right? Yeah, but that's important. Yeah. Um, so we have done one, two, and there's shorts. We watch the shorts. So there's a short after one and a short after two. So we watch one, the short, two, the short, and then four. And then Tokyo Drifts after four? No, five. Oh. Okay. Six. No, not six. Not that far. Five. Then Tokyo five. Drift? I don't know. Because I Han forget. comes in at six and Han's in Tokyo Drift. So he's Han's already... in at Han's in four. Oh. And the short. The short introduces Han. Then he's in four. So then it's Tokyo Drift, right? I don't know. Anywho. I love those movies. I'm I, so excited for So Fast excited. Nine. I love those movies. Somebody sent me a meme of like the guy holding the sign and it said, Stop making Fast and the Furious movies. And I said, Fuck no, never stop making Fast and the Furious movies. They're amazing. I love them. Yeah, no, I'm so excited. And I love John Cena and Charlie Theron's back. And I'm like, Yes, I'll, all of this. Stuff. I don't watch the trailer. I hope Kurt Russell's in because it. Because I try and refuse. But also, I heard who's in it. Yeah, John Cena has. Yeah. Dom's brother, it's fantastic. You don't have to whisper, I know. Okay. Anywho, okay, guess what we watched this week? We watched a proto-slasher. Alice Sweet Alice from 1976, a.k.a. Communion, a.k.a. The Mask Murders, a.k.a. Holy Terror. I kind of wish it had been called Holy Terror. I like that. Yeah. The poster is exactly the same for it. Um, That's what it came out as in Germany. Um... It came out here as Communion originally, but then the director, when they, like, lost their distribution rights, the director, like, begged to get a title change because he thought people were going to think it was a religious film. I Which don't... it is, but it's not, like, pro-religion. It's the exact opposite of that, so... I don't love any of these titles. I mean, The Mass Murder's terrible. I guess it it's came bad, out for, bad. like, two weeks in Florida under that title. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, Holy Terror is easily my favorite. I don't even, like, love Alice Sweet Alice. It's fine. So, it's confusing. Also, it's misleading because the whole time, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this episode, you've seen the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, stop now because we will spoil things immediately. Oh, yeah, every but, episode is very yeah. spoilers. <laughs> um, I feel like it's been a while since we've, like, noted that. But yeah. if you're a new listener, yeah. like, hey... Thanks. Red alarm. Yeah. Uh, the title really makes you go like, oh, it's Alice. Like, she's the killer for sure. Yeah. And she's not. Well, she's not, she's mostly. Not. Yeah. 
Anyhow. So it is about um, Alice Spiggs, a withdrawn 12-year-old girl who lives with her younger sister Karen and their mother Catherine. Karen gets most of their mother's attention and Alice is often left out of the spotlight. When Karen is found brutally murdered in a church before her first Holy Communion, Alice is in the spotlight of suspicion. But is a 12-year-old girl really capable of such savagery? As more people die at the hands of a merciless killer, Alice's family and the police don't know what to believe. Uh, released November 13th, 1976. So definitely, like, right in that in-between of, like, the proto-slasher and the slasher. Um, when, when was Halloween? I always forget. 79... That's not helpful. Um, yeah, because, like, we, we got into, a, like, a kind of Twitter conversation with people about this and, like, the term... 78. Slash- yeah, so that's when and this term slasher was, like, kind of codified. Black Christmas and, like, is 74, right? Yeah. Decided. Black um, Christmas, 74. Yeah. So a couple years after this, and then a couple years later, we have Halloween. Yeah. Uh, 340,000-ish budget. Yeah, I've seen 340 and 350, so somewhere around there, but no box office numbers. Uh, it's very well reviewed, and we. It's interesting. This is an interesting trend I've seen. The longer we do this, most proto slashers are. Mm-hmm. Most slashers are not correct, <laughs> except Halloween, <laughs> because it's like the granddaddy. Right. It's like the negative reviews that proto slashers get are like the parts that make it a slasher, which right. are all like the savagery and the macabre and all of that. Right. The actual um, murder. The actual the murder. Kind of um you know like nudity and stuff like that kind of stuff or the blood the graphic killing which is you know what proto slasher started like you know there's always been killing and like murder mysteries but these proto slashers took it sort of to the next level where they've made the kills like more drawn out more interesting Mm -hmm. having to do with like an overall theme which is what usually less explicit yeah and then so yeah it's funny they're Um, a little more hitchcockian Yes. Because you mo- it's like, about suspense. oftentimes you don't see the kills. Like even in Texas Chainsaw, most of the time you don't see the kills happening and the violence happening. Um, Ebert gave it a good review. Do we know his director's name Sol or Soleil? I don't know. I can look it up. Okay. Um, but director, he noted that director Alfred Sol or Soleil, while he looks, has a brilliant touch for the macabre and there are some splendidly chilling scenes. Uh, Vincent Cambia of the New York Times also noted the authenticity of the film's character and settings. And uh, stated that Mr. Soul or Soleil, whose first feature this is, knows how to direct actors, how to manipulate suspense, and when to shift gears. The identity of the killer is revealed at just the point when the audience is about to make the identification, after which the film becomes less of a horror movie than an exercise in suspense, which I totally agree with. Uh, He also has a good feeling for the lower middle class locale and the realities of the lives of the people who live in it. Um, but it was also chastised for it does have a pretty negative depiction of religion in it, which um, drew some unfavorable reviews. So I mean, it sounds like soul, soul. just general gotcha. like pronunciation. Yeah. It doesn't say like on his particular. So we'll say Wikipedia soul. Page. It might be soleil if you know. Well, I mean, there's no um, asterisk yeah. over the e, which would make Not it go. Asterisk. What's hyphen. Word? It's not a hyphen. It's a asterisk. A little star. I don't know. There's no yeah, I know mark yeah. over the e to say to indicate a, yeah, that a. it would make a different sound. So we're gonna say soul. Um, what do you think of this poster? Um. So my thoughts on this poster. I like 
parts of it. So yeah. what I really like is its relationship to the film. Right. Um, like this is everything from this the This is everything from the film. It's taking like the big major themes of what's happening. Like this doll, this two-headed doll, which plays into the themes of like good and bad and all within one person. We've got the iconic weapon here, which is the only one used in the film. Fun fact, the knife was made to retract and they only had one. So literally the entire film used the one knife um, that was specifically built to be retractable for this movie. Um, We've got the mask that's worn. We've got the like shopping bag that pops up at the end that makes like an important, you know, nod to our, the ending of the film because our killer has it. And then it's um, Alice then takes the mask out of it at the end um, and sort of alludes to some stuff. I love that. The Alice Sweet Alice, like, in the blood dripping and kind of, like, schoolgirl handwriting, that all works. Overall, it's a very well-done poster. Yeah. And it's a photograph, right? It's a photograph, yeah. yeah. I like that. It feels a little... The only thing that does feel a little weird about it is the fact that it's specifically set up on, like, a photo stage. That's right. a backdrop. Like, it feels very posed, mm-hmm. which it is funny. It looks like funny. a paperback. Yeah, and it's funny too because this is something that would normally like be illustrated, especially at this time period. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's funny that they set this up and then didn't illustrate it, that they just used the photograph. Um, So there's something about it that seems off, which is fine. It just seems a little posed for me. Um, I think it would have done better if the background was less visible, if there's more contrast. But the right. fact that you can really tell that it's a photo background, like, like backdrop. you can tell where the table ends and, yeah. the, and the backdrop begins. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, um, you can see the shadow. I think if it was darker in the background and you saw less details, it would be a lot more powerful. So I'd much rather see the background be really dark um, and, like, the bag obscure itself into the background. And I think it'd be a lot more powerful. Um, I hate the tagline. The tagline's super generic. If you survive this night, nothing will scare you again. I'm pretty sure we've covered a movie that had that fucking tagline already. We should go through one day and see how many of them Yeah, we should. We'll do a bonus episode and just go over all the taglines. Because, fuck, this is so generic. It hurts. Yeah, these Um, generic ones are so bad. Yeah. But otherwise, and then, like, you know, the type treatment at the bottom is, you know, great. Very traditional. Um, Yeah, I like the bottom a lot, actually. um, Super well done. The layout. Um, it's hard to see how we have it set up, but there's like a white border um, around the whole thing, which then ties into the bottom and ties oh, into yeah, the yeah, white yeah. text. I can see it now. Yeah, okay. yeah. So if you select it, yeah. you can see it. Um, so that's all great. The the composition's great. I think the photograph needs a little bit more contrast, but all in all, this is definitely like one of the stronger posters, and it's super iconic. Um, it's definitely one that you recognize, um, and. This movie has a lot to pull from, like, with the yellow raincoat, and there's so many things, and all of, like, the themes of, like, the Catholic themes, the cross necklace that pops up a bunch. Um, there's a lot of things they could have used for this, um, and so I think it, it it's done really well. I like it a lot. No sequels. Um, a remake was proposed, and it's been, like, bounced around forever. In 07, director Dante Tomaselli announced that he was doing a remake. And then in OS, uh, and it says as of recent, as of 2016, even that recently, he said that it was still like a prospect, uh, but nothing has happened from that. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's literally still listed on his uh, on Wikipedia. his Wikipedia. Is currently working on a remake, which was directed by his cousin. Oh, okay. so that's his cousin. So he probably has the rights to it. Yeah, and it makes it seem like it's just budgetary wise, he's not there. Um, so he probably has the rights and would like to make it. Yeah. Um, so, but they've but never done cool. no sequel. It doesn't need a sequel. Like it doesn't set up for one. I mean, it kind of sets up for I one. Guess, but like, I would, would say be, it does. But it, but it would be like it loses the main, like kind of the main device of like who the the who done it. Yeah. yeah, which it, is very very strong in this. Right. Um, the director is interesting. He is uh, directed a couple things. Uh, Deep Sleep before this, um, Tanya's Island, which I guess is what ended his career, um, because, like, a woman has sex with, like, a gorilla or something. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's something like that, and it pretty much, like, ended his directing career. He went on to do, like, Pandemonium after it, and then, like, nothing else. He's now, like, a big production designer, um, tons of TV movies. He did a couple like Disney Channel originals, like Johnny Tsunami and stuff like that. Um, big ch- shows like MacGyver, Castle, uh, Veronica Mars. Uh, so I've got a V Mars alum here. Oh wow! This yeah. It's literally about her being in a love triangle with her boyfriend and a giant ape. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. If you loved Emmanuel, you will go ape with D.D. Winters on Tanya's Island. Yikes. So, um... Oh, wow. They never gave him another movie to make after that, oh, apparently. Bummer. Um, but, I mean, no fault to his. He's having quite a career. So, oh, yeah, he's um, just yeah, he's doing a ton of stuff, which is awesome. I don't actually think I know what a production designer does. I mean... I think that name is given to a lot of different people for a lot of different things, right? Is that one of those? Not a production to singer responsible for overall visual look of the production interesting okay key creative role in the creation of motion pictures Scenic and television. Or set design okay yeah okay so very cool um he wrote it uh with rosemary uh ritvo who's never done anything else um so this was the only thing she was credited for um steven lawrence did the score um who has done like a ton of children's stuff which is always funny um, like Sesame Street for a while, and then like some other children's thing, and then some bigger movies like Austin Powers Gold Member, Young Adult, Never Been Kissed, um, all in like the oh, music so he's department. Still, like working. Yeah, yeah so he's still working um, on relatively um, new things. Uh, not a lot of score specific work, just a ton like of as like a music department member or whatever that means. So still in the industry. Um, I liked the score. Yeah. It felt very appropriate to what the film was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought it was super serviceable, nothing outlandish. But when I think it did a good job of like keeping the suspenseful moments, mm-hmm. um, which there's a lot. This movie is super Hitchcockian. Yeah, and um, super Giallo. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. got Giallo all over it. Mm-hmm. That's what I kept thinking. I was like, this reminds me so much of Giallo's. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny, too, because it's set in, like, 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think part of that, because at first I was like, is this supposed to be, I know this is a, a U.S. film, is this supposed to be somewhere overseas? And then I realized why everything, like, looked a little different. It's because it was trying to be the 60s. And I was like, oh, okay, like, that's why it looked different. Interesting. Uh, Linda Miller stars as Catherine Spiggs. Spiggs? Uh, yeah, Spiggs, that's uh, what I said. That is our main, like, character. That's um, our mother. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Mildred Mildred Clinton as Mrs. Tredoni, who ends up being our killer. 
Uh, Paul Shepard as Alice Spags. Niles McCaster as Dominic Spags. Uh, Jane Lowry as Annie DeLorns. Rudolph Wilrick as Father Tom. Michael Hardstark as Detective Spina. Alfonso DeNoble as Alfonso. He's the worst. <laughs> yeah. I cannot stand that character. He wasn't an actor. He was, they found him, and then he ended up being, like, in a couple things after this. But, yeah. He, he, he bummed me up. Well, He was a gross character. Of course he was a gross character. He was supposed to be. He was also a pedophile. Yeah. And, like, nasty. yeah. Uh, Gary Allen as Jim DeLorens, and then the biggest name in the movie is definitely Brooke Shields as Karen. Yeah, this film was, like, somewhat known for, like, her, it's her film debut. It's the first movie she was in. She's Um, very young in it, like, 12, maybe younger. Yeah, probably in that range. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was, like, a very, no, older than that, because she was 14 when, like, her modeling career was huge. She was probably older. The girl who plays Alice was 19. What? Yeah. She's no ni- effing way. Yeah, she was 19. Then they did a really good job of aging her down. I because mean, she that had is pigtails insane. and no makeup. I, I don't know. I could have passed for 12 when I she was, was 19. 12. Oh, wait, no. She debuted in Pretty Baby. That's 1978. Oh, no, that was her leading role. Was yeah. So this is, what, 76? So two years. So she was 10. In the, in, she was 10 in real life in the movie. Gotcha. I think she was like 12, yeah. Um, but yes, famous for being like, she was a huge, huge model. She was the youngest person to ever be on the cover of Vogue. She was like 14 years old. She had like a Calvin Klein campaign. Yeah, she was in the Massive movie. model. Blue Lagoon, right? That's her. Yeah. yeah. And then she, like suddenly Susan was like, well, I think what a lot of people know her from. When yeah, like, from our age for sure. Yeah. Growing up in like the 90s. Yeah, that was her sitcom. Was her sitcom. Um, but yeah, she's big. Um, if you were Jane the Virgin, she has a reoccurring role on Jane the Virgin. Like she's still around. But Oh yeah, Brooke She was massive in the 90s. Yes. And um, the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, those, those Yeah, eras. 80s and 90s. Um, Louisa Horton as Dr. Whitman, Tom Signorelli as Detective Brennan, Antonio Rocco as the funeral director, Lillian Roth is the pathologist. Kathy Rich as Angela De Lorenza. Marco Quaza as Robert De Lorenza. Ted Tingling as Detective Cranston. And then Patrick Gorman as Father Pat. I love saying when they just use their first name as their name. Right. It's always the best. Um, yeah, not a lot of stars in this. Not a lot of people went on to do much else. A um, few credits here and there. Yeah. Um, and this is, I mean, like we were saying, this is a true blue proto slasher. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Just the whole time you're watching it, you'll like, if you, if you've been watching enough slashers now, if you've been keeping up with us, like you can definitely, you get the feel for things and like, you can tell when like something is like just not quite there yet. And like a lot of this movie, and it's because a lot, very low kill count. Um, and a lot of time in between. There's no final girl. Yeah, no final girl. And there's a lot of time in between of this building suspense, but without a real payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, I do think, like, some of the mo- like or some of the subplots in this are, like, the whole thing between the detective and the mother is, like, something that you might see in a slasher, but it's played as, like, racy and, like, and, like kind of taboo, where in this it's played as still, like, sensual and like romantic mm-hmm. um which is something like a theme you don't see very often in a slasher film uh, mrs triani is our killer uh and so we find this out pretty much at the end of the movie um so sh- we find out like it's well it's like 20 minutes before the end of the movie yeah we have quite a bit after her big yeah. reveal um and she like she does kind of a big 
like villain monologue almost um where she reveals that she lost her daughter at her first communion so she's making alice's family pay for the same sacrifices that god made her pay children pay she literally says children pay for the sins of their parents like yeah she had to learn from that and so that's like sort of her sense of like justification is seeing that her parents um karen's parents are sinning Mm -hmm. and so she's like well i lost my daughter god took my daughter from me because of my sins like i'm gonna make sure that their kids are taken too yeah it's very much about like penance Mm -hmm. and um dude it's kind of wild that she just straight up kills a little kid i mean you don't see it well yeah and you can also i mean they sort of allude to the fact that could have been alice who actually killed her sister mm-hmm. and not necessarily mrs Tredoni. i think it was her um but i think they like to play with that ambiguity that that oh, kill yeah, could yeah, have yeah. definitely still been alice yeah. because i mean until she's revealed i mean you just are like well it's alice of course like there's really nobody else it could be oh like, yeah you second guess yourself a little bit because you're like how are they really gonna have like this 12 year old be a killer um and but then like they, they do a good job of like showing her have like moments where she where like in the police officer when she pushes the lie detector thing over or like when she's messing around with like alphonse alfonso or whatever yeah um, when she but, like almost kills his cat yeah she has moments of like malice yeah um and like and like seems like she could be evil enough to do something or maybe not have like enough of a moral compass to, like to guide her away from those ideas so like, I, I do think, like, the script and the directing both do a really good job of, like, having you question that the entire time. Um, her outfit is very, like, recognizable. Uh, it's a yellow, like, rain slicker with this mask that's kind of, like, what do you call it? It's like a it's like a cosmetic mask almost, like, where the mask is over the face, but it almost looks like the whole face is done up with, like, really intense makeup um it's it's definitely like well known this outfit and this look i wonder if i mean the rain i know yeah inspired by don't look now i was gonna say Mm -hmm. okay yeah because they do the rain slicker thing and don't look now so that makes a lot of sense um yeah so and like it even says inspired by don't look now which was a a horror thriller movie from earlier in the 70s but like the killer in that has a very like iconic slicker and then films of hitchcock which you feel like the whole way through one the nice thing about the slicker in this film is that all of the people go to the church have them Mm -hmm. and it's like has like the church logo on it so you can't use that to pinpoint the killer because you keep they keep popping up um which is nice it Reminds me of, like, well, I mean, they do it in Scream, where people are in, like, ghost face costumes. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. ghost face is a generic costume. Right. That they've used, and then you don't know, like, what's real or what's not. Yeah, yeah. Especially Scream 2. Yeah. Scream 2 really plays with that, so. No, it's smart. Like, there's a lot of smart film and, like, storytelling techniques in this in So, this so movie. we didn't talk about that. I didn't have the editor on here. It's beautifully filmed. Oh, yeah. Like, there are so many. There was just one shot that I noticed in particular. I was in the kitchen, and it was, like, the two, like, the sisters, like, the the mom, Catherine, and her sister. And she went to, like, one was in the other room. And she goes to, like, grab her purse. But then you can see Catherine through, like, the loop of her purse. Like, that's how the shot set up. And then she moves her purse. And I was, like... 
that was gorgeous. Like it's so beautiful. So many shots where a lot of the scary shots I thought looked Mm -hmm. really good too. Yeah. Like where you are seeing like three levels of things happening, which is really hard to capture. Yeah. Yeah, No, no. it was really well done. Um, I really enjoyed that a lot. Uh, M. Edward Sollier. So that was who edited this movie. Yeah. So yeah, everything like the cinematography, like how it was set up how the shots were planned out to, like, how it was edited together. It's really, like, superior level than, like, a lot of films we cover, for sure. As we mentioned, uh, the knife is our main weapon. It's the only weapon used um, that we really, like, see. Karen Karen is strangled, um, but anyone we see, like, attacked um, or killed is with a knife. Although she does attempt. I know she... Oh, yeah. Knife in the shoulder, then thrown off the building. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I know. When she was beating him, oh, it's a shoe, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, it's her shoe. It's so weird. It's very like violent though, and like I it's very violent and very like I really enjoyed this kill. Like I always go back to this, but it always bugs me. Like when I think about like urban legend, how a lot of those kills just wouldn't be feasible for somebody the size of Rebecca Gayhart, who's right. like you know five foot and probably a hundred pounds. Yeah. Um. This kill, like, it, she's an old woman. She's beating him with a shoe. After like, he's tied up. After yeah. he's tied and up. And she's, like, literally specifically hitting him in the mouth. Yeah, hides from him, like, stabs him once, runs, hides, yeah. waits for him to come back and be in a vulnerable position, hits him with a brick, and then is literally, like, slowly, and that's part of what makes it so brutal because it's not quick. It's, like, you can have two types of brutality where it's just, like, fast and crazy and violent and then you can have like brutal and like the slow way and that's what this was where she's literally rolling him and you know she's trying to get him from one side of the building to the open door so she could push him off yeah and she's just slowly like rolling him and you can see how much effort it takes her because she's a tiny old lady yeah like and and it's like really disconcerting and off-putting the whole time because he's like yelling at her and trying to get her to stop and like she gets so mad at him she just stops at one point and starts hitting him in the mouth with her shoe over and over again yeah and i thought like um i mean whatever team was behind like makeup and effects dude like it was a good job but like just like his mouth looked brutalized i was like i i specifically recall like watching that and going like god that looks like it hurts like just the way like he's getting slapped into the mouth and it's just getting bloodier and bloodier and bloodier um, and that's our second kill in the movie, by the way, just to give you an idea of, like, how long there are in between kills, because that's over and, halfway through the movie. And it really feels more like, like our first kill. Like, that has revealed our killer yeah. by that point, yeah. Because the kill of Karen is, like, what sets the movie off. That's the, the event. Which, that... even that kill is, like, what, 15 minutes in? Maybe? If not longer. Yeah, if not longer. Yeah. I mean, it's a movie. This is why a proto slasher. It's very much a movie outside of its kills. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, it sets up, you know, like we do spend time meeting this family. We know they're involved in the church. We know they're, um, they play this creepy game with this creepy mask for some goddamn reason. They play with this mask. Like the kids play games with this mask, which is also really weird and creepy. Um, but yeah, like we meet this family and spend quite a bit of time with them before we find out, like before we even get to the death of Karen. Um, so, and that's all on purpose. We're learning who these people are. Um, so, after Karen's death is kind of when we kick off into, like B said, the meat of the movie. And that's when, like, the detectives get introdu- introduced. We kind of, like, um, we're more introduced to, like, the other, like, characters. Like, Catherine's 
Catherine's sister Annie moves in um, to help deal with Alice. Alice and Annie don't like each other. Um, this is when we meet Alfonso, who is definitely like a creepy pedophile and also their landlord. Um, you know, like, and that's when we see, that's when all this stuff starts sort of happening. Like, we see Alice get attacked by Alfonso and then, like, almost kill his cat. And then we see Annie, who is the aunt, who, like, we already know Alice, like, hates her. Like, has told her, like, shut up, you don't live here, you're not gonna live here. She gets attacked on the stairwell. She gets stabbed, which this scene was intense, too. Yeah. She's, like, stabbing her through the... What I thought was interesting about this, that's very... Another kind of uncommon thing about slashers was, like, this happened in front of other people, and she kept stabbing at her while people... Like, the mom comes out and is seeing it, and then she finally runs away, and, like, she crawls out of the building. Like, so injured, but not dead. Yeah. Um, and she crawls out of the building before being taken to the hospital, and she swears it's Alice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was, like, I mean, again, just kind of one of those proto-slasher things. Like, in a lot of slasher movies, you see our slasher attack, usually someone alone. And, mm-hmm. like... They the, isolate them. The they bodies, stalk them. Yeah, the body is the whole stalk and slash but is like, a trope. Yeah. To have the killer attacking her through the stair banister, Alfonso's seeing it, the mother is seeing it, they're still attacking it. It's almost a little more savage, because they give, like... They don't really care that anyone's watching. Well, because she doesn't really care if she gets caught, right? Right. I mean, she's just doing what she thinks is, like, God's work, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, essentially. Essentially, yeah, because this is less, like, a lot of slashers, too, are about vengeance, and this is not. Well, kind of. In her in her In her head. But it's it's more, it's like, it's less about vengeance than it is about religion. Oh, very much so. Like, in her mind this is she's like doing god's work yeah she and which is set off it's by not the a fact. personal vendetta no because that's what well, we see a lot with slashers i mean it it is it is it's like a personal like her, vendetta with god almost yes like it's not specifically against the family this no, could have been anyone it could have been any yeah. family no one killed her daughter that's no. what it would have been in the slasher yeah. these people would have killed her daughter killed her daughter yeah. the reason that her daughter died yeah in a slasher movie yeah but this is her just going like Oh, well, like, my daughter died, so you need to, too, because, like, now I'm working alongside God. She's yeah. almost like his avenging angel, you know, uh-huh. like, um, which, again, this this movie came out during the video nasty period, and, like, definitely, like, a lot of people rallied against it because it is very anti-religion um, with its themes. Um, this is where we get, like, all the stuff of Alice in the hospital, though. She's being, like, um, I mean, she's discovered in a basement, and, like, again, just smart, like, storytelling techniques, like, oh where was she when all this was happening like yeah and she said she was down there and that she saw it was karen Mm -hmm. it was karen who did it so she's now telling her parents that her dead sister tried to kill her aunt right and the aunt thinks it's alice because basically our killer is a very diminutive woman who's wearing the same thing that alice and karen both wore when they played this weird fucking game Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they were basically just playing hide and seek, but like in the creepiest mask in the world for some reason. But masks didn't have that same association back then. That, that mask now. is scary no matter what, anytime. Anytime. You put uh. that fucking mask on and just walk around and show up, like, I, it doesn't matter. It'd be weird. I mean, it's like kids playing with like purge masks now, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. It's just weird. But know. not even because purge masks are from the movie. Yeah. Where back then people just wore masks as like dress up. Yeah. Which was dress up. Isn't that weird to think? Like, I mean, the, I now mean, it's obviously. so much associated with like horror. 
horror or even like pop culture it's yeah. just like oh what's the, who's that a mascot yeah it's, witch yeah. witch witch it's yeah. like no just witch it's just a witch like you see them like you see them at spirit every year but i don't see yeah. anyone fucking wearing those things yeah so yeah that is very interesting um then it sort of kicks off this whole thing of like the mother's falling in love with the detective and the detective's lying about where he is while he's investigating this case and someone keeps calling and just breathing heavily into the phone um yada yada it's a lot of like it's a lot of like what's what like it's a lot of like maternal grief and like mm-hmm. um her like trying to figure out how to deal with these feelings of like what if my daughter killed my other daughter right because like i love them both but mm-hmm. like what do i do if this well and then being the worried about your daughter just in general like mm-hmm. if something's wrong with her like if she's crazy like why is she seeing her dead sister like they know she's dead um yeah which is like a scary thing to go through as a parent yeah um and so yeah we see um dominic get killed which is the father the father right because he is and it's because they had premarital sex and yeah. because he is also divorcing the mother now yeah. which are both sins so um this is and this is the one that he was talking about where she you know attacks him numerous times before knocking him out and when he awakes that's when we, that's when we all find out who our killer is um and she like pushes him out of a window i was expecting him to live because i was like eh, i didn't see him that far lands on his back <laughs> like I, yeah like, on some like glass bottles and stuff though yeah yeah so i was like oh i almost expected him to live but... yeah nope um yeah and then we're in like this weird point where we're like oh fuck so we know who the killer is mm-hmm. and then we you expect see the her. movie to be over like really quick yeah and but it's not no it, it almost makes it worse though because now we know and she's like in the kitchen yeah she's just like acting like, acting like something's mm-hmm. normal and this is where she kind of gets into her speech about like children pay for the sins mm-hmm. of like their parents and you know my daughter got sick and she died on her first communion and like all this stuff and you're like fuck what and she's like got a knife in her hand and you're like fuck what she's gonna do this is like the part that feels very hitchcock and very like suspense like the audience knows because that's what hitchcock like always did the audience knows things that like our character doesn't and this mm-hmm. very much, like, this last part of the film felt so much like that, where we're just, like, waiting in anticipation to find out, like, well, what is she going to do? Like, yeah. who's she going to kill? And like, a lot how of, is this going to get revealed? A lot of, like, the film, like, the setups look like she's going to attack her in the kitchen almost. And yeah. especially the way, like, I give a lot of props to the actress, to Mildred Clinton, because she does have, like, an edge to her voice that makes it seem like she's about to break. And, like, an accent, right? Yeah. Like, what is that accent? Italian? I guess. I, I think, think so. I think they definitely wanted to go, like, towards something more Catholic. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think it is, like, Italian. I'm Tredoni sounds pretty yeah. Italian. Yeah, a lot of the names are all very Italian. Yeah. Um. So, like, like we said, we, like, we see this whole moment of, like, this, this very, I thought that scene was definitely one of the most tense in the movie. Um. And then Catherine finds out that her husband has died, and during the autopsy, they find, um, Karen's crucifix in his mouth, so Alice is eliminated as a suspect. Like, mm-hmm. Alice is no longer thought of. Um, but now they think that it's... Um, now, like, it's this weird... And we know who the killer is, but they don't. And, like, it's this weird, like, the whole thing of, like, oh, is it Karen? Like, mm-hmm. is there something else happening here? That we don't know about. Yeah. But we find out, I mean, very suddenly, like, they're at church. Mrs. Trinoni sneaks in. Alice, or... Ka- no... 
yeah, Alice has decided to fuck with Mr. Alfonso and she puts a jar of cockroaches on his chest, um, which is disgusting. Yeah. And then he wakes up and he starts screaming and he runs out and he sees someone and he thinks it's Alice. So he attacks her, but it's not Alice, it's Mrs. Cardoni, and she stabs him to death, which is definitely, like, this is her most, like, visceral kill in the movie. Yeah. She puts him against the wall and then stabs him in the chest. Um, And then there's this kind of, like, mad dash to the end because it becomes, like, almost a police chase. Um, The detective witnesses her running out without the mask, so he knows it's her. She goes to the church. Um, Like, they find Mr. Alphonse, who has died, Um, and then at the church... Um, Father Tom denies her communion, um, and then she calls Catherine a whore, and he says, she's like, well, you gave communion to this whore, and stabs Father Tom. Um, so Father Tom, I think, is our last death in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So only four deaths. And then that seems crazy, because, like, everybody's, like, screaming, and the church is, like, packed and tiny and, like, super claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And they're that all, like... very tense. It's super yeah. tense, and they all feel like they're on top of each other, like, screaming, and she's just holding him. Mm-hmm. And, like, blood is, like, dripping through her fingers and down, and it's, like, super tense and super good, like, scene, for sure. Um, and then Alice walks out of the church with her shopping bag and puts the blood stain butcher knife into it, which is like B was saying, kind of the illusion to like, is there something more to Alice that right. maybe we like, did she kill Karen and is she capable of these things? Yeah. Like, is she like, did she set this off? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a wink at the audience yeah. of like, maybe, um, like B said, ambiguous. Yeah. Right which I think is the intention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, overall, I think it's I think it's a very well-done movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just like, you know, we, we end up not having a final girl or boy. Um, I, you know, like, you, if you really wanted to, you could shoehorn Karen in there, but she, that's not the arc that she has at all. She's no. not even really our lead character, um, like Catherine pretty much is. She carries a lot of the story, and then... Even once we switch over to finding out who our killer is, we follow Mrs. Tredoni a lot, too. So Yeah, we, it's not like we're following Alice. No, not at all. I mean, we see her for moments, but it's usually just because it's moving the story along. She's not, like, she's not the character that we're necessarily following. Uh, your favorite kill? Oh, I'm definitely the final kill. Yeah. It's just shocking. You're yeah. just not expecting it to happen. Um, it's super graphic, and just the way it's shot... Um, in the church with everybody like going back and forth between Mrs. Tredoni like holding him, the blood dripping through her hand and like the people screaming behind her like and then this sort of weird sense of like relief and fear that she is the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really great moment. No, it's my favorite too. It's just like it's chaos. Yeah. And it's so like perfectly captured um, on film which is I think sometimes really hard to do too. Like sometimes things can seem fake or seem rushed and this feels like, like it makes me tense because of like how much is happening. And I'm like, okay, I like, I'm almost a little overwhelmed just by watching this. Yeah. Which I enjoyed, like, especially after such a taut, like tightrope of a movie. Um, yeah. Soul did a great job. I really think of like, it's kind of wild to me to look at his filmography and think that after something as solid as this, they gave up on him after one movie. Yeah. Um, which wouldn't happen nowadays, unless he was a woman, unfortunately. Then they'd really give up on him. <laughs> oh, man. Sad but true. It is true. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I give him a lot of credit, too, because 
it's just yeah like the especially this this time ago like go around watching it just like how much it feels like a really good giallo or like mm-hmm. a like hitchcockian thriller movie um position it's position it's very well known yeah yeah this is an iconic film in like horror I, yeah like it's very well known around, among cinema like film and horror fans not mm-hmm. not casual moviegoers but i guarantee if you showed them the cover they'd, they'd be re- like oh yeah. Yeah. yeah like i've like i recognize that like i'm aware that yeah. this film exists at least any video store kids yeah i always wonder because i don't talk to a lot of like that generation about things about this stuff in particular and like there are so many things growing up that i'm like oh i recognize that mm-hmm. like okay i re- like i definitely remember seeing that and i'm like do any of them have that memory like oh yeah i scrolled across that on netflix i'm like is it the same thing do you think does it make a lasting impression in their head because turek talks about this a lot on shockwaves you had to pick something up turn it over decide if it was worth it you know like something a little different about this i think maybe even how the brain works of like having to physically something as opposed to like so there's definitely the things that I'll recognize and go like, oh yeah, I've seen that on Netflix. Like I recognize right. that. That's but it has a to be Netflix a powerful movie. cover, right? Like the poster well, needs to call you out. Yeah, but here's the thing with Netflix is that they every I don't know how often they do it, but they'll switch the main photo right to garner oh, new interest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so sometimes you'll like pop through a show and it'll be like a different characters featured, which is really smart from a marketing standpoint because people get tired of seeing the same thing over and over that they've yeah. surpassed, then they might see a new image and then go, oh, what's this? Um, so it's just a different marketing approach than how film covers like VHS or DVD covers were, where they are very, I mean, we talk about that when we talk about the film posters, very deliberate in that they're trying to sell whatever they were selling and they're very true to the time so like there's always trends that we see and we go okay that was gonna sell people on yeah you know like i always think of like the prom night cover the remake Mm. it's very much like what would look like a horror movie from you know the mid-aughts and so if i was browsing their video stores like it was at that time i would know what that film was just by seeing the cover even though it's just a crown i'd be able to look at it and go okay it's in blue, um, like really high contrast. This must be a like a horror movie. This must be like a teen scream. Right. You can tell. You can do it for the early yeah. 2000s, the scream, urban legend. Yeah, where you've I got like, you know, the... Final Destination. The, the, the collage of like yeah, everybody and yeah. stuff. Like, no, there's trends and that's what sells the movie. And so Netflix or like streaming services do the same thing where they like look for trends or certain characters that might be popular at a certain time and push their image. So I think it does leave an impression. It's just a different one. You know what else I think is different is whereas you and I and our and everyone before us and a little bit after us were still in video stores and going like we went to a like we went to a store and like like we I mean yeah, we went to horror specifically, but we were looking around the whole story. Uh-huh. Like what what calls out to me? Netflix is similar, but it's algorithms. Curated. And, yeah. yeah, and curated. Which so they're creates... only going to get shown things that Netflix thinks you're going to want to watch, which right. is beautiful and horrible all at the same time, yeah. right? Because if I go on my husband's Netflix, I never find anything I want to watch because I'm like, oh my God, like all of this, like not my type of stuff. We're always complaining that we don't get to see everything, but I pop on other profiles and go, I don't want to watch any of this. So there's a reason why it's curated. 
Um, it'd be nice if you could have a show all feature. Um, and there's definitely work to be done, but, um, it's curated for a reason. You're going to get shown things that are similar to other things you've watched or started or, or whatever it is. So it's definitely different. Um, I think what that does is it eliminates the quote unquote hidden gems because mm -hmm. it, it makes it so like, well, in, in the sense of, in the sense of like, there were movies. A hidden gem in a separate genre. In a separate genre, yeah, in a separate genre, exactly. Because I like, get recommended things all the time that, like, I wouldn't. But, so here, for example, Game Over, the movie we covered, like, last month. Mm -hmm. That is a horror movie. That's a slasher that's never popped up on my Netflix before. No, yeah. But I've also never watched anything in Hindu before. Yeah. Ever. And so it's probably not going to recommend a foreign language film that I've never watched before, even though the genre's right. So that's a hidden gem. Right. I really liked that movie. Yeah curated to my tastes but because it's a foreign film i don't watch a lot of foreign films wasn't recommended yeah i i just think about like how sometimes i'd i'd go around a store and i i would see something and be like i like this isn't in the horror section like this isn't normally what i want to watch but like it looks interesting and like you know like you it, do like, that on netflix if anything, I do it more on streaming because there's less commitment. That's true. I, I start like... things all the time and I'm like, huh, I wonder what this is about. And I start it and I give it like 10, 15 minutes and decide if I want to keep watching it. I just it. feel like Netflix in particular now, and maybe it's because I'm on it so much, is so rigid with its algorithm. And I'm like, I've seen all these things suggested to me so many times. But like, I don't, like, they're, I think they do like a refresh or something every once in a while, I'm sure. Because like, I'll get stuff, I'm like, oh, this stuff looks interesting. Well, so. once a month. Yeah. They put on new titles and they switch things up right. a little bit, and that might be how often. Like a perfect example is the show. Um, oh my God. I can't even think of the name. Um, Love. It's a UK show, and the title is something about like STDs. And it's because that's sort of like the premise of the show. Like that the theme of the first season is this guy gets an STD and then has to call up all of his exes to like let them know he had this STD and so each episode's about like a different ex that he had and then the storytelling that's how the, he does the storytelling device uh and originally the cover that they showed was like s some pills right never clicked on it never once did that seem like a show that I would have liked really sad that I can't remember the name of it right now love drug maybe something like that um but it's not BBC. Oh, it's not BBC. No. Um, I don't think so. But it is like a UK show. Um, Love and Other Drugs? No, that's, no, a, that's movie. a movie. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I don't know. I'll figure it out and let you guys know. But um, I loved it. And I thought it was super good. And it was so different than like that premise. Um, and when they switched the picture, they switched it to like the characters and I instantly clicked on it because it looked like the image itself sold me. Right. And then I was like, oh, and I gave it a shot. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the show that had that weird, like, pill cover that, like, I never picked up. Um, and so I think that's – it's a sad thing, like, and a great thing at the same time from, like, a design and a marketing standpoint. Right. Because we're also in a trend where, like, design trends – are so popular right now where they, people would just push out things that are really trendy in the design world and they're not lasting. Right. So people aren't going to go look at that. Things. Yeah. yeah. Where like 
Saul Bass, who I talk about all the time, is a very, like, famous graphic designer. You can look at, there's, I just read a blog recently about all the logos he's designed and how long they used them, like the longevity. Where most industries, like, you want to be hired over and over and over again. Where in graphic design, you want to be hired over and over again, but you want your work to last. A good graphic designer's work is timeless. Um, And so you can tell, like, you look up some of the logos he's designed and they've been, they kept them for so long. Um, Where other companies' logos, you know, get shifted every 10, 15 years and sort of update with the trends has stayed some of the longest of any designers, um, which is incredible. Um, we don't see that a lot with posters. Um, we see trends. Yeah. Um, this sad part of seeing trends is that as soon as that trend is over, as soon right. as it's not the aughts, you're going to look at that movie cover and go, I might not watch it because I don't really like movies from that time period, even if it's the movie superior and right. isn't so right. – isn't necessarily a dated film yeah. um, or isn't no, trendy. So it's, a, it's an interesting design problem that lays into the whole video store versus streaming covers. Um, even on Prime, like we were talking about when we watched oh, yeah, well, uh, Iced, yeah. right? It's literally just, was no, it Iced? No, it was the one we did last week. Um, Which wasn't Iced, and it wasn't this. <laughs> what did we cover? We covered... Um, we liked it. Did we? Yeah. Uh, we didn't like love it, love it, but we liked it. I have zero memory of what the hell we talked about last week. Something from the 80s. Yeah. Our memory is so bad. Yeah. Man. Don't get old. Hospital Massacre. Hospital Massacre. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but it was you, x-ray. Like, generic, it was yeah. just like a black background and like typeset x-ray. Yeah. And that's not going to sell the movie. It's going to tell you what it is. Yeah. So, I don't know. Tangent over. Yeah, tangent over. Okay, so at the end of every episode, if you're following along, we do rank our movies, and we do so. If you are new to the show, we don't rank it as um, like our favorites. We rank it as kind of categorically how well it works as a slasher movie. Um, you know, straight up. Love sick. There you go. How I found it was Netflix UK show Chlamydia. Oh, scroto recall. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Um. So. I feel like proto slashers are, by design, just going to be kind of near the bottom of the list because they are not slasher movies. Um, and the ones that are kind of the blueprint for the slasher movies, like My Bloody Valentine and Black Christmas, are our two top movies ever. I mean, My Bloody Valentine is a slasher movie, straight up. It is. But, it's uh, not a proto slasher. No. Black Christmas is. My Bloody Valentine is everything that came before it in perfect perfection yeah to us it's like the complete refined version of what a slasher is um so that is our number one is my bloody valentine from 1981 followed by black christmas at 74 and then bottom of our list is april fool's day girls night out and cry wolf um like i said so we have a couple proto slashers on here a lot of giallo i think this will be our yeah we have one i mean we have black christmas but then we also have bay of blood and um, Deep Red. And Deep Red, which are both the other proto-slashers that we have covered. So here's the thing about this movie. Twitch of the Death Nerve. That we judge proto-slashers sort of in the... Yeah, what did they do for slasher? How did they set up slasher? How did they set up our formula? How did they lend to the tropes that we now have? Mm-hmm. And this one the doesn't little, do much. I think the only thing it does is a costume killer. Costumed killer with an iconic weapon. Pretty much it. Because everything the, else is not. Everything all. else does not lend into what slashers became. No, it it feels doesn't, like a suspense movie or a yeah. thriller. Like, but what it takes hardcore 
what we get is more than any of the films we covered before this. No, none of them. Oh, no, no. We get a masked killer Mm -hmm. in a specific costume that can be worn by other people Mm -hmm. and an iconic weapon that's exclusively used. That is, like, such a huge slasher trope. Like, yeah. One of our favorites, too. Oh, absolutely. Um, And so it's going to earn its place on this list because of that. Right. But everything else, I mean, we have no final girl. We have no, we have no, like, family history ties. We have no, like... We have one explicit death. We have, like, the, I mean, just so much of what builds a slasher yeah. is just not there. Yeah. Um, There's no, like, small town vibe. It's very melodrama. Mm-hmm. Like, very melodrama based within a thriller. Like, yeah. It's, and it's great. Like, so that's the biggest thing. Remember, like, this is a great movie. You should watch it. It's mm-hmm. very well done. Beautifully filmed. Um, good score. Excellently edited. But, like... As a slasher movie, and even as a oh, Talent Dreaded Slut Sundown is also a proto slasher. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Seventy six, right? Here. And this is better than that. Mm-hmm. And this is probably more. It does more for the slasher genre than Deep Red or close to. Because Deep Red was pretty good with its kills. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the general like. And a, lot of, and a lot of cat and mouse. Uh-huh. Um, the whodunit. And stalking. There's no stalking in this film. Deep Red has, like, the stalk and slash trope. Yeah. So I'd put this, like, probably under Deep Red. Mm-hmm. Because it does one thing very well, but that's it. And Deep Red does a lot of things that get carried over into the slasher trope. Like, a lot. A lot of that movie feels like a slasher. Um, I mean, we even get, like, you know, that kill that's been aped however many times. That's mm-hmm. from, or is that Bay of Blood? That's Bay of Blood. Oh, that's Bay of Blood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where's Bay of Blood on our list? It's a lot higher. It's 16. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bay of Blood does a lot, I mean, too. Bay of Blood is essentially Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's true. But Deep Red does a lot, and like I feel like our killer exists more in that movie, for sure. I think this needs to live somewhere in the game over, I still know, Black Christmas territory. Because I think Terror Train and Curtains and Hospital Massacre are mm-hmm. better slashers. Mm-hmm. Better yeah, yeah, yeah. follow the formula more than Absolutely. this gives yes. to the formula. Yes. But then movies like Game Over, which is like, slasher adjacent and uses some slasher but a lot of the stuff is same it's like kind of like a family drama like right. not really related to the this slasher genre feel a lot like came over. yeah um we're we're taking some of the ideas but like not all of them i still know it doesn't <sighs> it's a slasher kind of it's so weird because it's a sequel to like one of the best slashers mm-hmm. that follows the formula like to a fault like almost like negatively that it's, movie dude, gets it's to the wild point. i know what you did last time was number six yeah. on the list and i still know what you did is number 42 Dude, watching that movie with the perspective of this show i'm just like this is barely a slasher movie like you ignore your killer like you oh, ignore that feels, any history that one almost turned into a straight like mystery thriller yeah like it's barely a slasher it's barely a slasher. they shoehorn shit Benson. Yeah, oh like my God. oh, it's so bad. They um, stumble upon bodies. We don't really see any kills in that movie. Oh yeah, no, that one's rough. Yeah, um, I I would be okay. 
putting this over game over because it feels so much like it yeah but what it deliver what it does lend to the slasher genre is so important and big to it and they're very close like if they could be i'd almost put them on the same line because they feel like right there i think that's good so after terror train from 1980 um but before 2019's game over cool so alice v alice and yeah we wanted to cover a movie from the 70s we were trying to we've been in the 80s for a minute which just is going to happen. Like, we're going to do our best to bounce around, the but the 80s is going to happen. You know, like, That's there's where only we pull so from. much we have. <laughs> like, there's like a couple slashes in the 90s. Like, we've literally. done almost all of them. Yeah. Because, and and like, we're staying away from the biggest genre from the 90s because, of course, we're trying to stay away from it. Do you think we'll have to do it like reverse order? Maybe. Because we know we'll rank Scream so high. Yeah. And like, Halloween the same. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean... I mean, we did Halloween 2018, so... Yeah. That's true. I know. It's... I think it just depends. What we think we've decided with slashers is, like... Or with the big franchises is that if the... Why we decided it was okay to do 2018's Halloween is because that movie can exist separate from Mm -hmm. the rest of the franchise right um it doesn't it of course it needs that to exist right but But like you could go into that movie and watch it and not really be it's not you'd be like what the fuck is going on which is how i'd feel like if we covered like the reboot of friday but then with friday we couldn't just do like Oh, we couldn't just jump Jason into, like, takes Manhattan or something because then it'd be like there'd be or no. Or even more, context. we were like four, five, and six. Yeah, are deeply into like lore. The of Friday. lore. Yeah, yeah. we. Yeah. It wouldn't make any sense, so we decided that we didn't need to cover one and two first mm-hmm. to get set into that. So I think it really depends. So with some of the big ones like Halloween and Scream and Scream, like when you get into like the true franchises themselves, like. You kind you know which of one, need. Yeah, you know which one you could bounce on is Nightmare. Almost no carryover characters. Mm-hmm. It's very standalone in a lot of its stuff. Yeah, like, and and the lore itself just builds, but yeah. it's not necessarily like, like you learn the Legend of Freddy in every movie. Yeah, they go over it. So that, that might be one that we could sort of bounce in instead of having to go one through ten or whatever it is. Nine, no, I think. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Well, um, yeah. Thanks for. Tune it back in. Um, we still don't really, we, we don't really have anything lined up. Um, we're just playing things by ear right now. Yeah. Uh, we're just kind of bouncing around and having some fun with it. Not a lot of big themed holidays coming up anyways for a while. Um, we just had Groundhog's Day. Yeah. And so that would go watch Happy Death Day. Yeah, go watch Happy Death Day. Exactly. That <laughs> Happy Death Day. Kills. I know. It was the day of the Super Bowl and my husband's like, oh, we should watch Groundhog's Day. I'm like, you know what we should watch? Happy Death Day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that is a great Groundhog's Day movie. Yes, better take i like groundhog's day but it's better than groundhog's day all right cool we'll be back in two weeks until then keep screaming